Welcome to Parker's Podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. This week's guest speaker is Reverend Gary Cornelius. I am excited to be here this morning on Father's Day when Brother Mac called and asked me I got off the phone and I said I need to check my schedule and see what's going on. And when I realized it was Father's Day, I immediately called him back and said yes. And I promise you, within one hour, God had given me the message that I want to share this morning. So the reason I'm telling you that is because I honestly believe, because this has happened very few times in my life, that God's given me a message that quick, that easy. That means that there is somebody or a group of people that God has something very specific to speak to. So this morning, all I ask is that you listen with your heart. Not worried about me, not worried about anything else that's going on. I want you to listen with your heart this morning. Let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, it is so awesome, God, just to be able to to call you Father that you love us enough, that you want that relationship with us. God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. Show us what each one of us need to hear, to do, to live. Father, we love you. We thank you for being here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, I am excited to be here, and and I tell you, as I begin to pray about this and look at this, I couldn't help but think of my father. You see, I, I've been blessed. I have a great relationship with my dad. My dad's 82 years old, and my dad and I are very, very close. My parents were told when they were married for a few years that they would never have any children. And 10 years after being married, I came along. I was an only child for nine years so my dad and I spent a lot of time together and so as I began to pray about this and and look at what God wanted me to say lessons from my father kept coming to my mind and God specifically gave me the, the the urge if you will to share with you lessons from my father so that's what I want to do this morning I want to share with you some principles some keys if you will in life that I believe are so crucial to where we are today in our world. Now, I want to share some things that my dad did teach me. Of course, I started thinking, and I don't know how you feel, but you ever had things that that happened in your childhood that you just can't get rid of no matter what, or things that just, you you just, they're so vivid? Anybody ever, you, you have memories like that of your childhood? As I began to think about my dad, I couldn't help but think about something that happened when I was about seven years old. I don't remember how it happened. I don't remember exactly what brought the circumstances. But I remember being in my room. We lived in Mobile, Alabama. And my dad was in my room, and for some reason he was making up my bed. Now, as I got older, I realized my dad must have been in trouble with mom because dad never made up a bed, okay? He never cleaned up. So why was my dad in my room making up the bed? I don't know. But I remember... My dad had always talked about being scared of snakes. I decided, as a bright seven-year-old, I was going to play a trick on dad. A friend of mine had given me a rubber snake. 
I walked in the room, and I, y'all, I can see it just as sure as I'm standing up here today. We, I had a twin bed. My dad was on that side. He was pulling the sheet over. Now, some of you seen Chariots of Fire. You've seen other movies where everything moves in slow motion. I still remember this. I took the rubber snake, and I threw it. The snake is slowly going through the air. My dad's face looks at me. His eyes get this big around. His hand slowly slaps the snake out of the way. And then like Superman, in one bound, he jumps over the bed. And I realize he's not just jumping over the bed. He's coming after me. And I remember taking off out of the room and screaming, Mom, Mom, if my mom hadn't been there that day, my dad would have killed me, I'm telling you. I found out after the fact, when my dad was a little kid, his dad threw a snake on him, and that's why he was petrified. I learned that day what not to do, okay? I don't know if you've ever had anything like that happen. A lot of times we learn things not to do. But today, I want to share with you some things that I believe God wants us to do. There's a verse that I want you to turn to in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It's going to be on the screen but this is the verse that my dad lived by. This is a verse that dad taught me. Now, you got to understand, I grew up an athlete. My dad loved sports. He coached my baseball. That was my dream. I played baseball in college. We loved sports, baseball, football, whatever. If it had a ball, we were playing it. And my dad was always talking about winning, always giving your best. Listen to this verse. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Listen to this. Run in such a way that you may win. Now, my dad taught me that winning was not always about the scoreboard. Winning in life is not about being the most successful, having the most money, having the most things. But winning is knowing that you are being obedient and following God no matter what. And I want to share with you those principles this morning, those keys And we ask the question, so how do I win? How can I run in such a way as to win? How do I win? Well, there's some keys this morning that I want to share with you. The first one is time. See, my dad taught me that time was crucial. That time was not unlimited. Anybody in here ever run out of time doing anything? How many people in here have ever felt like you just don't have enough time in the day? Okay, that's the majority. And for those of you who say, no, we need to talk. All right? We're always running short of time. For those of you who are closer to my age and and older, do you feel like life is going faster than it used to? You see, I'm going to tell you something. I believe one of the biggest tools that Satan uses in our world today is time. He keeps us so busy that we don't have time to do the things that we need to do. Most of the time, we don't intend to not do things. We don't intend to put things off. We just seem to run out of time. But as I look at that verse, and I am reminded about my dad, my dad taught me this. Know what you're up against, son. Know that time is going to run out. My dad taught me that in sports. Whether it be baseball or football or basketball or whatever, you're going to eventually run out of time. That scoreboard's going to tell you some things. But time is not unlimited. But you know the most important thing he taught me about time? Was that time builds relationships. And you know, I just told you that that, I believe that's one of Satan's biggest tools. Well, here's why. When we don't spend time with each other, 
when we don't have enough time, we don't build relationships. And when we don't build relationships, things begin to fall apart. Time builds relationships. My dad loved to spend time with me. Again, being an only child for nine years, my dad got to spend all of his time with me. He loved to spend time with me, and he knew what I loved because he spent time with me. I got to spend time with my dad, and because I got to spend time with him, I knew what he loved. There was never any doubt. We have a close relationship even to this day. But he taught me that the most important time was time with him. My dad used to teach me, son, you can't know somebody unless you spend time with them, and you can't know your heavenly father unless you spend time with him. And as we look at this verse, run in such a way is to win. We have to spend time getting to know him. Let me ask you this morning, how much time do you spend with your heavenly father? How much time have you spent this last week? Well, I just ran out of time, or I got so busy, or I just didn't. Those are my excuses. I don't know if you have the same ones. Sometimes I'll get in the bed and go, wow, God, I got so busy today, I didn't have time. And as I look at that verse, I ask this question to myself, how can we know someone if we don't spend time with them? How can we know our Heavenly Father if we don't spend any time with Him? How can we know what God wants to do in our life and what He has asked us to do and challenged us to do or what He's doing if we don't spend any time with Him? This point was driven home to me when I was a freshman in college. I told you I loved to play baseball. I was playing baseball in college. That was my dream. And our coach in college, one of the requirements is during the summer when we were out of schools, we had to play summer ball. And I'm not talking about part league ball. I'm talking playing with the big boys. Going out there with college and semi-pro guys, I mean, it was scary. Well, in order to do that, one of the things that I had to figure out is how was I going to pay for this? Gas money, because my dad wasn't able to do that. So I cut grass during the summer to earn money so that I could play baseball mostly in the afternoons and evenings. And there, were, there was a neighbor that lived two houses down from us. In fact, I had been cutting their yard since I was about 12 years old. His name was John. And John, trying to think of the best way to describe John, John was a pretty gruff guy. He was retired military, nice to me, but so intimidating, especially as a 12-year-old. But even as an 18-year-old, I was, I was scared of him. Not that he was going to hurt me or anything, but I just was intimidated. You ever been intimidated by anybody? Well, my freshman year in college is when I became a Christian. Now, I grew up in a, in a godly home, went to church all the time, but I didn't accept Christ until I was 18 years old in college. I knew Jesus here, but I didn't know him here until I was a freshman in college. And when I came home for the summer, one of the things God laid on my heart was, Gary, you need to share with John. Every week I cut the grass, I would go knock on the door. Mr. John would come to the door. Of course, he comes with the $20 to pay me for the grass, and I would try to start a conversation. Y'all, I just couldn't do it. 
I just couldn't get to the point where I could talk to him. I was so intimidated. I can't tell you the number of times I went to his house just out of the blue, went by there to talk to him about Jesus, and every time I froze up. One Saturday morning, I was sitting on my bed, and the phone rang. My mom walked in the room. I was sitting on the bed putting on my socks, and she said, Son, Miss Jean just called. John died last night of a heart attack. And I remember sitting on my bed thinking, God, I I thought I had more time. I thought he had more time. Where did I miss it? As far as I know, John never had anyone else share the gospel with him, and I blew it because I thought I had more time. There's a verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It's going to be on the screen. Talking about God, says, For he says at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Listen to this. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Folks, time is not unlimited. You may be here this morning, and this may be the last time God is going to speak to your heart and say it's time for you to give your heart to Jesus. You may have been here thousands of times. You may be here every time the doors have opened. But just because you came to church doesn't mean you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You could be just like I was. I was running out of time. I am thankful that God gave me that one more time when the pastor preached the message, good old boys don't go to heaven. And that night I realized I'd been playing a game with God. I was running out of time. Folks, listen to me. Time is short. And if we are going to run in such a way as to win, we have to understand time. But not only time. My dad taught me that time was crucial. But my dad taught me something else. The second key to running in such a way as to win is family. Understanding family. Family is the most important relationship on earth. Now, I've already told you how much time my dad loved to spend with me. As I got older, uh, they, they had another child. My brother's nine years younger than me, and I have two children. He has two children. And do we have any grandparents in here? <laughs> See, I didn't even ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> grandparent. Yeah, I'm a grandparent. That's the way my parents are. Man, my dad absolutely loves the grandkids coming around. So does my mom, for that matter. I can sit down and make you a list of things I used to get in trouble for that my kids could do, and they don't get in trouble for it. Me and my brother used to sit and have conversations and say, who stole mom and dad? Because we could never get away with that. My brother used to get whippings for trying to let the dog in the house. Dog didn't come in the house. The other day, my mom showed up at the house with a dog seat in the front seat. She got a dog. The dog rides in the car with her and stays in the house. She brought the dog over to show the grandkids. I don't get it. But Dad taught me that family was most important. Nothing made him smile. Nothing made him happy than having family together. Now, I'm talking about our earthly family here for a minute. I want to say something. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you said, man, you have no clue. If you had any idea how bad my family situation is or what's going on in my family, you wouldn't be sitting here talking to me about all this stuff. Listen to me. Every family has conflicts. There's no perfect family. I get that. And you're right. 
I don't know your family situation. I don't, I don't even claim to. And I can't sit here and say, hey, if you do A, B, and C, everything's going to be fine. But I can tell you this, that you can always be part of the solution. No matter what's going on in family, you be part of the solution. That's one of the things that my dad taught me, to never give up. You be part of the solution. You want to know why that's important? If you have your Bible this morning, I challenge you to just, from, from this point on, to me out, start thumbing through Scripture and show me where you can find that anything was put together before the family. You see, if you read your Bible, you'll see that God put the family together before anything else. And that tells us how God feels about the family. And see, my father shared that with me and tried to instill that in me. And even though I didn't become a, a believer until I was older, my dad taught me that God didn't give up on me. And God didn't give up on you. Hear me this morning. God has never given up on you. God has never given up on me. Oh, he could have and he should have, but he didn't. And family is so important. And I can't stand here and tell you that your earthly family is going to always be right and everything's going to be fixed. But I can tell you this much, that your heavenly Father wants you to be a part of his family. You want to know how I know that? This scripture is going to be on the screen, but if you want to look it up, look up Luke chapter 15, verse 20. Anybody in here ever heard the story of the prodigal? The prodigal son? You remember what happened? Hey, Dad, I'm ready to go out on my own. I need all my money, all my inheritance. I'm out of here. Reluctantly, the dad gives him all the money. He loved his son. Son went out and he blew it all. And he came to the point where he just had nothing left. He was eating pig slop. And he finally woke up one day and said, Man, what am I thinking? I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm just going to ask to be a servant. Because even if I could be a servant at my dad's house, I'd be better off than I am now. And look in verse 20 of Luke chapter 15. Talking about the prodigal son. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and stood there and waited. That's not right. Oh, my bad. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Guys, as I read that, that is a story, a picture of what God did for us. God didn't wait. He ran back to us. God is standing there with open arms just waiting for me to say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. I want to come back. God's not standing up in heaven with a bat. God already knows what we've done wrong. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. There's nothing you or I can do that's going to surprise him. He doesn't want us to live in sin. He's waiting to forgive us. Now, he's not going to overlook our sin. Don't get me wrong. But that scripture right there tells me that the Father wants you. The Father wants me. You know how I know that? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, one of my favorite verses. Talking about God who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. When you think of it, there are people out there, maybe some of you sitting here this morning, say, man, I'm just not worth it. God says you are. Sometimes we say those other people aren't worth it. Right, God, you know what he did? God says, uh-uh, he or she's worth it. 
God wants all men to be saved. He wants everybody to be a part of his family. But you know, God doesn't force that. God gives us the option, the choice. And I'm reminded of that, especially today being Father's Day. Dads, listen to me for a second. We have the opportunity and the obligation, the commandment from God to be a picture of Him. You see, the lessons that I learned from my father was not only about time, but it was about family. And it reminded me, and I want to be able to say this very clearly. I told you I was blessed having a godly father. I never have once in my life doubted that my dad loved me. Never once. I know he's been mad at me before. Okay? But I've never doubted once that my dad loved me. And you know what? Because of that, I've never doubted my Heavenly Father's love. And it reminds me, even for my children, I'm supposed to be that picture of who God is. Because if, a, if we can understand a love like that, then we can understand God's love. Dads, we're supposed to be that picture. I'm supposed to help my children understand that God loves them by the way that I love them. Not that I approve everything, but I love them no matter what. And too many times a day we miss that. We need to understand that time is not unlimited. We need to understand that family is the most important relationship. And there's another key. And I want you to understand about these keys. Every one of us had the same opportunity. The third key is we have to understand people. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, boy. Now, look, you just don't know the people that I'm around. You don't know the people I work with. You don't know the people that I have to see. Man, if you just knew these people, you know, it's a little bit different. I'm sorry, but as I look at this, as I read my Bible, I understand that people are his passion. People are God's passion. As we look at the Scripture, as we understand, we have to know what is at stake. Do you realize that you and I, and I'm talking to myself too, that we work with and go by people every day, that if they die in the condition that they're in, they are going to spend eternity in hell, separated from God? Do we realize that eternity is at stake? Do you ever watch the TV and say, man, this world's going to hell in a handbasket? I've heard people say that. My mom the other day, was, I told my mom, I said, Mom, you need to turn the TV off some. It gets you all work. She came over all in a teasy about all these things that the news had, had talked about. I said, Mom, God's still in control. It's okay. God's still in control. When we lived in Enterprise, when we knew Brother Mac before we had children, we had an exchange student from Holland. Her name was Mariah. In fact, she just had a baby today, so I guess I am a grandparent. But anyway, she, she lives over in Holland. I don't, you know, she's 35 years old, just got married last year. She fussed at me, said it was my fault because I wouldn't let her date and kept boys away from it. She was 35 and just got married and have, having children. Anyway, that's a side note. has nothing to do with this message. But she used to, she used to be amazed at me because... When she came over to America, she took everything literal, like we had a yard sale. She asked me, why are we selling our yard? I would watch football. 
and I would yell at the TV. She would look at me and go, you do realize they can't hear you. Doesn't matter. Well, that's what I was trying to tell mom. You know, we can get all worked up and everything, but what are we doing about it? If we really look at the news and, and we get all worked up and we think this world is in such trouble, then what are we as believers doing about it? If we believe that God loves people, that that is his passion, then what do we do in trying to help people? Look at this verse, Philippians 2.4. It'll be on the screen for you. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. And if you go on and read that scripture, it talks about have the same attitude as of Christ Jesus. Paul was writing to a church, and he said, Church, don't get selfish. Folks, we have become selfish as a church today. We've become so introverted that people drive by the street. I, I, listen, when we're finished today, go stand out there for five minutes and count how many cars go by. They have no clue that church is going on. And they're not just going to pull in here unless somebody invites them, unless somebody goes and tells them about Christ. They're waiting for us. They have no idea what's going on. And eternity is at stake. We have forgotten how important people are. And again, this was driven home to me as a teenager. When I was 13 years old, my dad was a manager at an international paper company in Mobile, and every month he had to fly to New York for their monthly business meeting. I hated it when dad left. He'd miss baseball games. I hated it. Well, he came home one day, and he was talking to me and mom, and he said, I've got a choice. They want me to move to New York. And he said, it'd be a lot more money. But if we move to New York, I'm not going to have very much time as a family, and I just don't want to do that. And my dad quit that job back in the 70s, making six figures, went into financial services with, some, with, a, with a group, and started doing really well. And one afternoon, he came home, and I knew something was wrong, and I heard him talking to my mom. I was sort of eavesdropping, as most 14, 15-year-olds do. My dad said, something's wrong. Something's wrong at work, and I can't put my finger on it. Well, long story short, my dad discovered that his partner, the vice president and president of the company, were skimming money off of the top. They were stealing money from clients. My dad confronted them because he knew he, if he didn't, somebody else was going to, and then he was going to be caught in the middle of it. He knew he had to speak up. My dad spoke up. And everything went down. And when I was 15 years old, I can still remember it like it was yesterday, the doorbell rang. I opened the door, and there's two FBI agents standing at the door. They came in and interviewed my dad. My dad wasn't in trouble, but they wanted to get all the facts from him. And you know what ended up happening? Here I was, 15 years old, and I'm wanting to protect my dad. You know, look at me. I wasn't big enough to scare anybody, but I thought I could. Those FBI agents aren't going to intimidate my dad. They put those three men in jail, four men, three men, put those three men in jail and they took all the money that had been stolen from my dad's accounts. My college fund was gone and I was angry. You know what my dad did? My dad started a jail ministry. Can you believe that? What nerve. And two of those three men 
They went to jail. He led to Christ. Huh. Boy, people must be important then. And my dad taught me that it doesn't matter, that it's not his place or my place or your place to look at what they've done, but it's to look at them like God does. Now I want you to see, I want you to raise your hand if you recognize this verse that's fixing to be up on the screen. If you've ever seen or heard this verse before, just raise your hand. Anybody? Gosh, I'm scared. I need to talk to Brother Mac. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if some people believe, is that right? No. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Let me ask you one question. What's the most important word in there? World. Because God says, I love everybody. And everybody has the same opportunity. God says, for God so loved the world. I love the world so much. Folks, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that the world is the most important thing? I hate to tell us this morning, and I'm talking to myself, but we're losing the battle because we've taken time for granted. We've forgotten that the family is most important. And we've lost our vision for people. And I'm talking to the church for just a second. And I'm not talking to just our church here at Parker Memorial. I'm talking about the church in general. We've forgotten these things. Not on purpose, but a little bit at a time. We've let them slip away. And we've forgotten the most important thing. I want you to watch this video clip. It's just a minute or so long. But I want you to pretend you're the only one in this room. And he's talking to you. When was the last time you stopped and evaluated your life? I mean, really took the time to decide what the most important things are. The sad truth is, most of us don't do that. We just live our lives day after day. But the truth is, life is a series of choices. And the things that we choose are the things that are most important to us. If we don't evaluate our lives and decide and clarify what's most important, we'll end up wasting it. The Bible says that it is the intelligent man who aims at wise actions, but the fool starts off in many directions. <laughs> if that's our gauge of how we're going to evaluate our lives, the sad truth is many of us are going to fall into the category as fools. But none of us wants to live foolish lives. We want to be wise. Therefore, we have to consider the words of Christ, who said that the most important things in life are to love God and to love others. In evaluating your priorities and clarifying what the most important thing is in life, we have to use that as our measuring stick. But we have to choose. God doesn't decide for us that we're going to have good priorities. In fact, Job said that we can choose what sounds to listen to and what taste we want in food, and we should choose what is right. But first of all, we must define what is good. What is good in your family? What's good in your personal life? What's good at work? That is how you clarify what is most important. Because look, when you consider your life, the question of whether you're going to waste it or use it, it all comes down to whether you've clarified what's most important when it's all said and done your life just a dash between two dates
true. Because when it's all said and done, that's all that counts. And I want you to think about those principles this morning. The time, the family, the people. Did I mention this morning that these lessons that I learned from my father, that my father has Alzheimer's? Greg and I had a conversation about that last night. My dad's 82 years old, doesn't know who I am anymore. Breaks my heart. But you know what? I look back and I realize that my dad applied all of these principles to his life. And when he ran out of time, he left those things so that we could follow suit. You see, regardless of your relationship with your earthly father this morning, whether it's good, bad, whether he's living or not, look, folks, this message is not about my dad. My father learned these things from his heavenly father, and our heavenly father is saying the same thing to all of us this morning. It's time for us to get back, and let's start winning. I want to ask you these questions this morning. Do you know him? Has there ever been a time you've asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior? There's no guarantee of tomorrow. He wants you to be a part of his family, but that time is now, not later. Is there somebody else you need to include in that family? And we need to remember most of all people are most important to him. People are his passion. Is there someone today that you know doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Is there somebody you need to tell about Jesus? Look at this scripture. Mark 13, 32 and 33. Listen to this, folks. Let it sink in. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Listen. Take heed. Keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't predict the future. Time is short. Family is most important. People are his passion. As the music begins to play, I want you to look at this verse. This is our invitation. Do you not know? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one wins the prize and God says to us run in such a way as to win that concludes this week's message from Reverend Gary Cornelius additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.